Hello. Welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. Chapter 70. Optimus. Well, what can we make of Marcus Ulpius Trianus, known to the world as Trajan? There's nothing bad to say about him. Nobody to say anything bad about him, and nowhere is anything bad written about him. He was Rome's perfect emperor. Everyone expected the most popular man in Rome to be a brilliant emperor, but he didn't meet these expectations. He exceeded them. Trajan was born in Spain, into an Italian family who had emigrated. His father was a respected senator, although he was the first member of the family to reach that position. Trajan Sr. commanded a legion during the Jewish War of the late 60s and was made consul in 70. He must have been well thought of, as Vespasian, the emperor of the time, generally liked members of his own family to serve in this lofty position, as we've heard. In 75, Trajan Sr. became governor of Syria and Trajan Jr. served under him as praetor. The younger Trajan's talents were already shining through, and he was appointed to lead a legion in northern Spain. He marched with this legion to help put down the Saturninus rebellion against Domitian. He was appointed consul in 91 AD. His high standing with Domitian should probably have caused him trouble after the last Flavian was assassinated, but such were the attributes and talents of the great man, it did him no harm whatsoever. But, in 96 AD, Domitian was still emperor and Trajan was still a military provincial commander, if a highly popular one. It would take some intricate twists and turns of history to make him emperor less than two years later. When Domitian was assassinated, the Senate had somebody ready and waiting. They remembered the chaos after Nero and were not taking any chances this time. The quiet man, Marcus Cocius Nerva, was proclaimed emperor the day after Domitian was killed. It's not recorded whether Nerva knew about the assassination in advance, or even had a hand in it. Looking back now, it seems utterly impossible that he was not aware. After all, he was appointed a day later. Still, history likes to portray the first of the five good emperors as a man who did his duty by stepping into the breach. Clearly rubbish, but a handy smokescreen. The Senate was not interested in creating a new dynasty with unpredictable sons waiting in the wings. They wanted an old man who wouldn't be around for long, had no sons, was not a general and was a member of the Senate who, could they, who they could advise on who should be the next emperor. Nerva was over 60, childless, was a senator and had never commanded troops. Perfect. Absolutely perfect, thought the Senate. Now they were back in control. The senators continued to be delighted by their choice. Nerva declared an end to the treason trials and said that no senators would be executed. He said the Senate would be an important part of the government and he would use them to help him rule. The senators, smug and satisfied, saw a rosy future ahead. And in the end, it would be a very rosy future. For the next 84 years, the Empire was ruled by a series of well-intentioned, intelligent, committed and wise men. Not for nothing are these rulers known as the five good emperors. Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian, Antoninus Pius and Marcus Aurelius presided over the golden age of Rome. Things got better, the empire got larger and the people got richer. Enemies were dealt with and the borders were secure. Nobody was to know this as the events of 96 AD played out, although Nerva's accession was greeted with a decent slab of goodwill by most of the population of the empire. But, and it was a whopping great but, the army were disgusted that Domitian had been killed and they wanted blood. They'd loved him while he was alive, and they loved him still. Nobody, but nobody, was allowed to kill him. 
When Nerva let Domitian's killers go free, the troops in the army were quite understandably outraged. The Praetorian Guard, who tended to support whoever was in charge as long as they were well paid, were pretty mad that they had not been involved in choosing the new emperor. Nerva dived into his new role quickly, and did a lot to make the people's lives easier. He reduced taxes, introduced new programmes to help the poor, and paid everyone 75 denarii as a donative. On the flip side, he cancelled the wonderful games that Domitian had introduced, and this didn't go down quite as well with the populace. Domitian had made lots of solid gold statues of himself, and Nerva had them all melted down. This was great for the treasury, but did not go anywhere when it came to appeasing the army, who still loved their murdered former emperor. So, even good men have their enemies, and there was soon a conspiracy against Nerva. The rebellion was put down quickly, but Nerva didn't execute the conspirators. This was seen as weakness. In October 97 AD, the Praetorian Guard took the emperor hostage and forced him to put Domitian's killers to death. Domitian had been a good payer, and this chap was not as generous. The emperor knew what was best for him and did what they asked. He also changed very little of what Domitian had put in place to run the empire efficiently. This fact amply demonstrates what a fine job the last Flavian had actually done at governing. Nerva knew that he was in a bit of trouble, and had to do something to make him more popular, and what he did was brilliant. He named the man we introduced at the beginning of this chapter, Marcus Ulpius Trianus, as his successor, and formally adopted him. Everyone was delighted, except some of the members of the Senate, who were keen on having another choice of their own as the next emperor. Legend has it, the news was brought to Trajan by an 18-year-old called Publius Aelius Hadrianus, a man we will get to know well in the next chapter. The rest of Nerva's short reign was peaceful and happy. It's for naming Trajan as his successor, above all else, that Nerva goes down in history as the first of the five good emperors. Just two months after naming his heir and successor, in January 98 AD, Nerva died of an illness and Trajan became Rome's 13th emperor and one of the greatest men in ancient history. Trajan entered Rome for the first time as emperor in 99. The people cried and cheered and welcomed their new ruler. As soon as he reached Rome, he declared he was going to work closely with the Senate and not ignore them as Domitian had done. He got the Senate to agree to make Nerva a god and then declared he was not going to rule every little thing in the empire like Domitian had. He was going to let the provincial governors manage their own provinces while he built things and went conquering. Trajan was a tall man with an air of dignity that was enhanced by his prematurely grey full head of hair. Cassius Dio tells us he treated all men the same and didn't fear or hate anyone. He was calm, no slave to anger, says Dio, and took no notice of insults. First, Trajan set about improving the road network so that he could move his armies around quickly. It was clear from the outset he was going to ignore Augustus's rule that the empire should not expand any further. He then formed two new legions and planned the attack on his first target. His first target was Dacia, which forms most of modern Romania and had been taken on by and fought an honourable tie with Domitian. After the ceasefire, the Dacian king, Decabalus, had been paid by Domitian not to attack Rome, but the conniving and wily king had used the money to build castles on the border with the empire. Rather than use his donated resources to help act as a buffer between Rome and its other enemies, Decabalus had spent the cash augmenting his defences against the people who had given him the loot. Trajan was having none of this. 
he wanted Decebalus beaten, and beaten for good. Trajan was an affable and charming man who made friends easily. Many of these friends later became very useful to him. One of them was called Apollodorus of Damascus. Apollodorus also happened to be the best architect and engineer ancient Rome ever had. Trajan asked him to build a new bridge over the Danube so that he could attack Dacia. The stone bridge would be the longest bridge built by humans for over a thousand years. Some of it remains today, although the Emperor Aurelian had most of it demolished when he abandoned Dacia in the 270s. Trajan wanted everyone in the Empire to support him in his efforts to defeat the Dacians, so he went to the Senate and asked them if they would be happy for him to have a go. The Senate agreed to have a war in Dacia, and Trajan assembled a huge army consisting of at least nine legions. He prepared by further improving the road network, and then slowly moved his massive force north until he reached the defences of Decebalus. The first battles were not all victories, but in 102, Decebalus tried to cross the Danube into Moesia. Unfortunately for him, many of his troops drowned and he had to retreat. Trajan saw this as a victory and was determined to retain the advantage, move quickly and capture the Dacian capital. In the spring, he attacked with all the strength of the Roman legions and Decebalus decided to offer to surrender. Trajan agreed, but ordered Decebalus to tear down his fortifications. Decebalus accepted the deal, but secretly didn't do what he had promised. The new bridge was completed soon after. The Dacians, though, must have had suicidal tendencies because they continued to be hostile and not stick to their promises. Trajan had had enough. The angry but calculating emperor ordered his troops into Dacia, leading one army himself. The Roman forces destroyed all of the aqueducts which brought water into the Dacian capital, and soon the city had run out of water completely and quickly surrendered. Decebalus escaped, but he knew he had lost. The king committed suicide so he wouldn't be captured. Trajan had Decebalus's head cut off and sent back to Rome. The conquering emperor was very pleased with his new territory, because Dacia had lots and lots of gold reserves. The emperor didn't need to tax the people too much because so much gold was coming in from Dacia. The war effort had turned a handy profit, rather than being a drain on the resources of the empire. Trajan celebrated a magnificent triumph in Rome, which lasted 123 days and featured a vast circus of gladiatorial games and exotic animals. It's at this point that the change in the Romans' foreign policy under their warlike emperor became clear. Dacia was turned into a Roman province, the first completely new province since Claudius had conquered Britannia. This was highly significant. Dacia was north of the Danube River, which was supposed to act as the border of the empire. Remember, rivers are easy to defend. Random chunks of land sticking out on the other side of a wide river are not. Trajan, though, calculated the strength of the Romans in comparison with their enemies was such that he could defend an indefensible province. He was proven to be correct, at least while the five good emperors and their immediate successors reigned. The new foreign policy was shown again in 105, when the king of Arabia Petraea died. Instead of installing a new client king on the throne of this kingdom, Trajan ordered the governor of Syria to send the troops in. The northern part of the kingdom was annexed into the province of Syria, and the southern part became the new province of Arabia. Soldiers were stationed in these provinces, close to the border with Rome's only genuine challenger, the Parthian Empire. See, told you he was great. The emperor came to be known by the title Optimus, meaning the best. 
Trajan continued to rule well domestically as well as internationally and expanded Nerva's programmes to make the lives of the common people easier. Low taxes and welfare programmes funded by Dacian gold for the poor, bonuses funded by Dacian gold for the soldiers, prestige for the ruling classes. Everybody loved him. Not since Augustus had an emperor been loved by the people, the army and the senate. For the next seven years, Trajan ruled over an empire at peace, but the emperor was still busy. As he didn't have any wars to fight, he decided to make the people's lives even better. He set out on a programme of building things on a massive scale, using more of the gold which he had taken, and was still taking in large quantities from the Dacians. In Rome, he had Apollodorus build a column exactly a 100 feet high to celebrate his victories over the Dacians. It shows the story of the Dacian War in a long spiral that wrapped around the column 23 times. The column still stands in Rome today and is one of the most remarkable of the ancient Roman monuments which adorn the modern city. The column is called Trajan's Column. Apollodorus built a new forum which was called Trajan's Forum. He also built a new aqueduct called Trajan's Aqueduct. He built a new marketplace called Trajan's Marketplace. Trajan built some new baths. Any idea what they may have been called? Yep, the Baths of Trajan. The emperor, as we know, was a provincial. His building programme didn't just improve the magnificence of the capital. Trajan built many new roads throughout the empire, further improving the infrastructure needed to rule efficiently. He built a large number of triumphal arches to celebrate the glory of Rome. He built a new harbour at Ostia, and he built many new bridges and other useful buildings. Because of these great roads and bridges, the empire was made easier to defend. Troops could get to the borders quickly to fight off the barbarians. In the end, these roads and bridges would make it easier for Rome's enemies to quickly get to Rome and other parts of the empire. But it would be more than 200 years before this really became a problem. Trajan governed the empire by letting good governors do their jobs. He wasn't like Domitian, who wanted to make every decision. He let good men do their work and gave them the authority to do it well. Another of Trajan's friends, Pliny, often wrote to him to ask him questions about how to treat the soldiers, what to do with the Christians and various other things. A lot of these letters have survived, and they show Trajan to be a sensible and fair man who made good decisions. The correspondences are available online and make very interesting and sometimes quite amusing reading. But... Trajan was a military man at heart, and after seven years he was keen to depart on the conquest trail yet again. In 113 he got the excuse he wanted. We've heard before about the Parthians, whose empire bordered on the Roman Empire in the east, and they were often hostile towards Rome. In between the two empires was the kingdom of Armenia. Rome and Parthia had come to an agreement about how this little buffer kingdom should be ruled, the Parthians were allowed to suggest who should be king of Armenia and the Romans had the power of veto. They could refuse to accept the suggestion. In 113 though, the Parthian king put his own nephew on the throne of Armenia without allowing Rome to exercise its veto. Trajan was not going to put up with this and he raised another huge army. In 114, Rome invaded Armenia and completely destroyed the Parthian army. Instead of putting a new king on the throne... Trajan stuck to his new foreign policy. He made Armenia yet another new province of Rome. The emperor emerged from the mountains of Armenia and took his enormous army into the deserts of Mesopotamia, now modern Iraq, where he won again. The emperor decided that this should be a new province too. 
Next, he captured the ancient city of Babylon, and then he attacked the Perthian capital of Tisiphon. This was annexed along with a vast tract of Parthian territory to create the new province of Parthia. Eventually, Trajan reached the Persian Gulf, the furthest that a Roman army had ever gone. When he arrived, Trajan stood on the shore and stared out over the beautiful blue sea. He declared he was just sorry he was too old to do what Alexander the Great had done and go conquering all the way to India. It was already clear that the Romans wouldn't be able to hold on to all of this territory and Trajan had decided he would put a friendly king on the Parthian throne and let him rule. Before he had the chance to do this, in late 116, he fell ill with heat stroke. He decided to return to Rome to get better. This was probably a wise move, but it left the question of who should be the client king in order to retain a friendly neighbour unanswered. Trajan hoped to deal with this as soon as he recovered. The great Roman emperor never made it back to Rome. On August the 9th, 117 AD, Marcus Ulpius Trianus died. He was nearly 64 years old and had ruled the empire for 19 of its most glorious years. His wife, Pompeia Plotina, was at his side. They had no children and Trajan's last act would be to name his successor. Or at least, that's what Plotina told everyone. Rome would never be led by such a great charismatic warlord of an emperor again. Although he ruled with pretty much the same powers of Domitian, his character allowed him to do it and remain popular. Pretty much everything he did was a success. He was the best emperor since Augustus, the longest reigning emperor since Tiberius, the first one who wasn't from Italy, and the last one who would conquer new lands and make the empire bigger. The empire would never be this large again. Next time, we will see another of Rome's greatest emperors make a very swift U-turn on foreign policy that, all in all, was probably very sensible. This podcast is my hobby, and I thoroughly enjoy doing it. However, hosting costs, and any generous donations would be gratefully received. There's a donation button on the website www.mythandhistory.podbean.com If you have any feedback or anything else you'd like to ask, then please contact me, mythandhistory at gmail.com or on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, until next time, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you then. <laughs>